Welcome to the Lead Podcast, helping you to get it, grow it, and give it. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Lead Podcast. Our guest today is none other than Lola Moore Johnston, previously known as Lola Moore. Now she has a hyphenated name, which is good news <laughs> for her and for people who care about her. So welcome to the podcast, Lola. Thank you, Roger. It is great to be here. Uh, Lola leads, uh, she's the lead pastor right now in the Potomac Conference. What church exactly are you uh, the lead pastor at right now, Lola? The Woodbridge Seventh-day Adventist Church. Perfect. I, my first uh, pastoral assignment was in uh, Potomac. I worked in Vienna. Oh, wow. Is, uh, yeah, close, going that way. Right. Um, so we're going to have a conversation about leadership, and uh, I want you to take me back in your younger years, even though you're still a young person. Uh, <laughs> when did you sense you were called to lead? Uh, you're a spiritual leader now. You're, you lead a congregation. But when, when did you sense a call to lead? When did you know you were a leader? Did you, uh, was it just a realization that you just had, or did it come about slowly? Did you resist it? Talk to me about um, that moment or, or that uh, time in your life. Well, I have to say that um, throughout my childhood into early years, um, early teen years, I'd always been um, close to or in positions of leadership, but I didn't see it that way. It wasn't until college um, when I wandered into the theology program at La Sierra University and had uh, several leaders asking me to start initiatives or to manage initiatives that I realized that people saw me as a leader. So I started to um, kind of take notice of what they were seeing and realized that um, God had blessed me with some leadership capabilities that um, were raw, but were um, certainly some good um, foundational uh, abilities to lead God's people. So it, I kind of accidentally slipped into it. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, I think John Maxwell said that uh, if you're leading and no one's following, you're only taking a walk. Correct. Right? So, <laughs> so, so, so there's positional leadership, which used to be highly regarded in culture 50 years ago. That mm -hmm. if, you're, if you are the pastor or the teacher, right, or the politician or the whatever, Uh, you have a position where people followed you because you had the position. That has changed mm -hmm. uh, with the advent of millennials. And it's, it's less about positional um, and more about relationships and, and earning the trust of the people you're trying to lead. Um, so what, what are some, if you want to be a transformative leader, what, what are some leadership nuggets you've learned along the way? Um, oftentimes through through failures, through some things that did not go as planned or some great things that you planned from the beginning and they worked out. What, what are some le leadership nuggets you can share with our audience that you've learned along the way? You know, what has been incredible for me in leadership has been the realization that people naturally follow individuals who they perceive care about them. So the... I think the number one uh, leadership nugget that I've gained is 
understanding the need to mingle with people and to get to know people so so that you actually develop care for them. You know what's going on with them. You're asking questions about them and their children. And when they know that you care about them, they will naturally follow you or, you know, not necessarily always follow you to the end, but at least give your chance, your ideas a chance. Um, but when people don't perceive that you care about them or they feel like they don't know you, then they are less, um, they're less, likely to give your your ideas if they don't understand an idea or if they don't see it all the way through they won't support you so I think relationship is the biggest capital that you can gain or develop in order to lead people so um, along those same lines and, and as a follow-up question to that question so what are some ways that you personally develop relationships with people you're trying to lead um, what, what, what are some ways that you do that? Um, one thing that's helped me in my new position is taking down my, my own barriers and just being myself around people, um, being transparent, not transparent to a point where it's painful, but, you know, just, um, giving indications that I'm a real person. I'm a newlywed. I am, um, a woman, I am a person growing in discipleship and being honest about where those things are going great and being honest about the challenges. Um, that kind of opens up a door for people to be honest and real with me and take down their guards because they know that I'm authentic. So that authenticity is like unbelievably um, effective in developing relationships with people. Um, and then just spending time. Um, I try to spend time with people that isn't always structured time. Um, so I try to be around people when there's not a meeting or an agenda, just sitting around talking to people and getting to know them, asking them questions about themselves. Um, those are the places where the guards also come off, um, in my experience and give me an opportunity to see people at their um, authentic place and then give them an opportunity to do the same with me. Developing that trust has been everything. Yeah. Now you are, um, or you were, because now you are married, you were a, a positional leader uh, mm -hmm. with vision, with vision mm -hmm. uh, who was single. Yeah. How hard? How hard or easy was that? What What, what were the greatest challenges, uh, struggles, uh, joys of, of being a leader who is single, who is working for the church? That I have um, several friends. I have um, a myriad of ever increasing pastors. It, it used to be that pastors, when they got out of college, they were married with two kids. Yeah. Uh, if they were if they were Hispanics, three point five kids, right? Mm -hmm. But now it seems <laughs> you know people are yeah people are taking longer to get married. Uh, they're taking their time. It's not a given. Um, so, talk to me about your experience as a leader who was not married and and uh, did you did you get respected less? Did you, was it all the questions? What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Talk to me about that. Well, um, that actually had two sides. I'll talk about positive first, that um, being ambitious, having vision requires time and energy that I was able to readily give 
um, time to dream, time to cast vision and all of those things because I didn't have a family that I was responsible to at the time. So I could spend all the time I wanted to spend at the church and really nobody would care. Um, you know, I could invest time in meetings and all kinds of things and give myself totally there. I think the downside of that is the isolation factor that pastors already experience. Um, you know, because there is a perception in most cases that pastors are not quote unquote real people, then members don't always want you in those um, authentic spaces if what's going to happen is perceived as less than holy or off color. So um, while I was spending so much time in ministry, spending so much time casting vision and at church, there was an isolation factor where I wasn't really able to be poured into um, emotionally a uh, place to vent or a place to um, to just have community of my own that wasn't um, based upon my performance. So um, being single can be a benefit if a person has a very strong community. Um, but if a person who is um, ambitious or who is a person who really gets in there and works in ministry doesn't have a community, that it, I think it could kill a person's ministry and it could be really taxing on their mental health. Thank you for that. That would, that's uh, that's very very good counsel. Now, as a, as a leader in general, uh, as you look at as you look back at uh, probably a decade of, of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, what what has been your greatest challenge, your greatest regret, and your greatest joy? So you can take either one of those that you want to start with, your greatest challenge, your greatest regret, and your greatest joy as a leader. Um, my greatest joy, let me start there, has been spaces where I could bring all of my gifts to the table. Um places like uh, my last position where I was a departmental director. And for a lot of what I did, I could set my own agenda. And so I was able to um, address my ministry in non-traditional ways that, that matched my gift mix. It's the same thing being a senior pastor where I can lead from my strengths and set an agenda that is um, – that is in harmony with how I have been created in ministry. Um, and to see the fruit of that ministry, um, sometimes, and you will know, there's a belief that there is a prescribed way of doing ministry. And if a person does not do it in that prescribed way, it is believed that nothing will come of it. But I am so grateful for the opportunity to do ministry that comes from my authentic self and that is um, tailored around how I'm gifted so I'm not exhausting myself um, doing it. I'm not having to be someone else in ministry. Love that. Um, I think my challenges have been where I've been boxed in and there have been expe uh, expectations placed on me that did not suit where I was gifted or passionate and trying to um, be 100% uh, invested in someone else's vision, um, mm -hmm. even when that vision was counter how I am created. 
uh, those places have been the most challenging for me. How, how do you deal with uh, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with uh, when division you're assigned to promote goes in direct contradiction uh, to who God created you to be? You know, I honestly had a hard time doing it um, and didn't really last in those spaces for a long time. I wish I could say that I uh, mastered that, but I I honestly didn't. And um, it actually goes back for me to um, the question that you asked earlier about being single in ministry. Not having a strong community around me um, caused me to have a very shallow base for um, for coming into something that I'm not creative for, something that I'm not um passionate about uh, and I didn't perform well. I think that you have to have a lot of reserve in order to really show up in and perform well in spaces where you're not gifted or passionate. And if you don't have that reserve, um I really don't know how people do it. Um mm. yeah, I, I struggled there. Now you've worked directly uh with uh, youth and young adults for quite a a, a bit of time of your Uh, leadership career. Mm -hmm. What what about uh, this next generation inspires you, gives you hope, uh, makes you smile? And what about uh, the, that generation and especially our relationship to them um, get, grieves you, um, concerns you? Um, answer those in the in the in the order that that you want. No problem. I love that new generations are reimagining what relationship with God consists of and that they do love God that, well, you know, there are parts of our, of that generation that love God. There are people who are passionate about ministry who want to be involved. I love that they're asking questions and that they have a desire to understand scripture, a desire to be part of Christian community. Um, and there's lots of energy and uh, new perspectives amongst Generation Y, Z, um, that um, not only are passionate and able to be effective in our churches, but also in community, and that they are community faith. I mean, excuse me, community focused and and concerned about what's going on in the world around them. I think that that is tremendous. Um, Where I am grieved is that um, the church has not found a sweet spot for opening up a conversation with generations Y and Z. Um, and I think it's because um, we are, our system has um, not getting, gotten rid of some rigid rigidity, I should say. And um, It causes us to come at them with rules when really they need relationship. Um, now, it's, it's something that I think theologically that we recommended in times past. You, you should have a relationship. You should develop and cultivate relationship. But now with these new generations, it's, it's actually mandatory that relationship is the capital um, that is necessary in order for them to receive anything that is said. Um, and I, I like how you let in, you talked about positional leadership being that, 
that number one, that uh, bottom rung of leadership. And that level of leadership means literally nothing to these newer generations. Um, it is a door in, but um, those higher levels of leadership in all relationships, not just as pastor, but as parent, as teacher, as an artist, um, this is the big thing with social media, people creating what feels like relationship in order to be influential um, is necessary. And I feel like the church is, is moving too slowly to create that dialogue with our younger generations. And that, that really grieves me. Now, there seems to be uh, unofficial conversations, right? Uh, oh, conversations yes. in, in, in the hall where... Um, conversations go like this. Uh, the Caucasian church is losing all their young people, but the African-American church uh, does not. So when, when we hear, I've had conversations with African-American uh, pastors that say that's a Caucasian problem. The, the exodus is a Caucasian problem. Okay. It's not an African-American problem. We have our youth. Our youth are here. Um, you know, uh, miss me with, with that talk of, of people leaving. Uh, is, have you found that to be true or, or not in, in uh, what can be done about it? I think it's inauthentic. Um, and now that I'm not working in that field, I can speak freely, right? <laughs> um, I think it's inauthentic because, um, you know, research, and you've seen the research as well, has shown that in every generation you've had people between 16 and say 30, 35 who have left the church, but those people have come back. They've returned in, in previous generations. So we all have, have problems with retaining youth and young adults. We've always had those problems. I think that because it looks like um, the same thing that we've already always dealt with, there might be an issue with people owning that it's a problem. But I mean, Every, I mean, talking about a black context, every prayer meeting I go to, I have people crying out for their children, asking God to save their children from drugs, asking God to save their children from poor de uh, decision making, you know, kids who are on the corner, kids who are not making great decisions, kids who, you know, so, so to say that that's not a problem, I think is inauthentic. Um, I think that this is part of the rigidity that I spoke of earlier that we have not looked at it with new lenses and we have accepted what has been happening as the norm. So it's not problematic. You know what I mean? I got you. I, um, I, I, I perfectly understand. I, I, I wanted to hear, you know, maybe my perception was mistaken, but I, uh, I see what I see. Oh yeah. And I have, and I have conversations um, with people that, that have, they have severe issues, especially mm -hmm. young people, with uh, how the way things are done. Um, now, as a leader, you you are going to get criticism, right? You're going to get hate yeah. mail. You're going to get uh, people confronting you uh, face to face or smiling smiling at you face to face, and then as you turn around, they sling the arrows. Oh yes. Um, so. so how do you deal with haters? How do you deal with people who, um, I, I make a difference between somebody who loves you and loves you enough to tell you the truth, right? Who cares for you, who's already in a relationship with you mm -hmm. that, that might point out an area of growth versus mm -hmm. somebody who has 
who has who has never anything good to say. I worry about two types of people in my life. People that don't have anything good to say about me or any, people that don't have anything bad to say about me. Yeah. Because uh, both of them are, are mistaken. So how do you mm -hmm. deal with, uh, with criticism? How do you deal with people that resist your leadership, that um, dismiss you? Um, and not necessarily because of gender. Sometimes it's because of gender, but uh, many times because of age. Mm -hmm. or it just... I just don't like you as a person. I, lo I don't like what you bring, your theological perspective, whatever. How do you deal with it? Mm -hmm. um, so I am a sanguine. And so I, um, more than other personality types, really am sensitive to how I'm received by people. I love being around people. I love talking, all of it. And um, in the first years of my ministry, I really struggled with people who I could not please. Um, irrespective of position, irrespective of pandering to them and trying to adjust things. Um, but after a while, I realized that no matter what I did, no matter what position I took, no matter what age I will ever be, that there are going to be some people who will not like me, period. And I think that a leader has to come into any leadership context with that understanding that you will not please everyone. You know, people say you can't please. No, no, no. You will not please everyone. There's going to be someone in your congregation who will be averse to your leadership style, to the things that you bring to the table as ideas. They're just going to be that. And so if I think about the bell curve, there's going to be some people who won't like me, um, no matter what I do. But there's going to be some other people who will like me, no matter what I do. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. when I think about criticism, then I, I want to ask some questions when I'm criticized. I want to know, uh, number one, is there any validity to what they're saying? Irrespective of whether or not they like me, is what they're saying true or valid and and whether or not they like me if what they're saying is true or valid then it bears investigation um and you have to be very comfortable with yourself in order to hear something from someone who you know does not like you but to still examine it to see what is valid in there sometimes i mean and i've had these um i've had anonymous letters sent to me and I realized that nothing about those things were valid. Um, I have adopted a practice from those letters to to um, say that if someone sends me something anonymously, I don't read it. Because when people are anonymous, they give you some of the most hateful things because they they are inconspicuous. You don't know who they are. So I've adopted a, a policy. I don't read anything that is anonymous. Um, but if someone has the respect for me to come to me with their identity, to share with me something that they don't like, even if they don't like me, then I will examine it to see what is valid. And then Jesus is perfect. I am not. And so there are mm -hmm. going to be some places where I am weak and where I'm challenged. There's lots of things I'm learning, especially going back into a church. Lots of things that I'm learning, places where God is actually reshaping my character being here. So I cannot expect perfection from myself. I need to expect that I am on a journey here. 
And even though I have been hired as pastor, my pastoring uh, will grow and mature over time. And so if I'm looking at myself as one who's growing and maturing, there will be criticisms to come because some of the stuff that I do is not right. It's not correct. But if I'm patient and gracious with myself and understanding that God is gracious toward me, then it's okay to be imperfect, but I am trying. I am, you know, and, and I think giving ourselves that grace and taking off that, that need to be perfect and infallible um, really helps with dealing with haters. Um, and, and I've actually had some haters who have um, grown to uh, be, I don't want to say lovers, but they're not haters anymore because yeah. when they brought their criticism, I received it with grace and I did not treat them differently. Um, in fact, I had a, a woman in my church approach me this past Sabbath and she uh, shared with me, you know, I, I really don't believe in women's ordination. I don't know why God brought you here, but I believe God brought you here. And you're doing a marvelous work in this church. Now, that could have really hurt. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that could have really hurt in, in a number of ways. But I smiled, and I loved her. And I said, you know, I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. And I kept on, you know, and, and uh, last thing, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, is understanding a sense of calling. And I don't know that we're only speaking to pastors, but in whatever leadership capacity you serve, you have to have the conviction that you belong there, that this is where you belong. And when you have the conviction that this is where you belong, take you out of your place. They, they can't shake you the way they will if you're unsure of yourself. I have the unswerving conviction that I belong here. God has called me here. So no matter what the criticism is, I know that I am where I'm supposed to be. And so a lot of that stuff doesn't stick because I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, I, I, I always am amused by, by people that say, yeah, don't worry about criticism. It, I, I just brush it off my back. Like, <laughs> I'm like I wish I was I had that gift, uh, and and usually people that say they don't care about what others think are the ones that care the most about what others think. Uh -huh. um, so in as uh, as we as we wrap up our our time together here, what what would be um, uh, some books or podcasts or resources that you want to recommend uh, for leaders uh, to step up their game and and uh, and grow in their leadership skills? What what has been beneficial to you personally? You know, I have, I wish I had more, but I, I um, am learning to read more um, because leaders are readers. <laughs> um, there is one book that I am reading. It is, There is Hope for Your Church. I'm going to find the author right now. This okay. book has been really a blessing to me. Um, it. I almost have it, but that book has been transformed. Yes, there is hope for your church. First steps to restoring health and growth to your local church by Gary McIntosh. That thing is really helping me um, to to have a healthy outlook on my church, on um, my ministry, why I should be there, um, and what I should be doing there. Um, 
the other book that I'm looking at is Healthy Systems, Healthy Church by Nelson Searcy. And so mm-hmm. Searcy actually has a lot of resources for pastors and leaders around systems. I was just introduced to him, and, and that thing is is really, really, really helping me. And then um, from a preaching perspective, um, this had, wasn't asked for, but I'm going to share it anyway, that as a pastor, um, preaching is um, a lot is um, for leadership. Um, on that first rung. So you're only positional leader for, you know, maybe the first one to three years, but preaching is going to help you in those one to three years. Um, So that's Preaching for a Change is the book that I was reading uh, by Andy Stanley. And then Mm -hmm. the last one that's been helping me, I just moved into my church. So it's called The First Hundred Days, The Pastor's Guide by Scott Daniels. Um, which has been helping me navigate my first three months and um, building, helping me to build a whole lot of capital with my con- congregation. Perfect. Well, thank you, um, Pastor Lola, for your time with us today. We really appreciate it, and we're, um, we're hopeful that uh, the thoughts that you have shared here can help leaders as they're growing in whatever stage uh, of life and leadership that they're in. Um, We thank you again for joining us today in the LEAD Podcast. Just one more episode remains of Season 1 of the LEAD Podcast. Can you believe it? We are almost to the end, but don't worry. We've already recorded Season 2. It's in the bag. It's almost ready to go. And just after a short hiatus following the next episode, we will be releasing Season 2 So just one more episode remains in two weeks. Thank you guys so much for being on this journey with us of leadership, of of learning how to be better leaders for Christ. If you want to subscribe to the Lead Podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any podcasting app you would prefer. And if you subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave a review. That really helps us out. And we do cool giveaways for people who do leave reviews. Hint, hint, wink, wink. So please leave a review. Enter yourself in for some giveaways that we'll be doing And also, if you want to uh, find us online, you can find us at theleadpodcast.com. And if you have any comments, questions, or feedback for the show, all you got to do is find us on Twitter. Roger's Twitter is at LeadSU. My Twitter is at Ryan180Becker. Or you can email the podcast, leadsupodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time.